scripture lesson for this Sunday comes to us from the Gospel of, I have Matthew there, it should be Luke. That's my bad. (laughs) Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Listen now for God's word to you. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When, they, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night long but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus, fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful person. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that had been taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Why did those fishermen, Peter, James, and John, leave behind their nets to go and follow that rabbi from Nazareth named Jesus? It's a question that I find myself asking every time I come to this story. It's a story that appears in all four of the Gospels, the Jesus coming and there's this miraculous catch of fish and the disciples leaving everything behind to follow him. And because it's in all four of the the Gospels, of course, each of the writers kind of adds their own little distinction to that story. Uh, The Gospel writer John, who seems content to always march to the beat of his own drum, places this story not at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, but at the end, post-Easter, post-resurrection. So this call to discipleship, this call to follow and emulate the life of Jesus is one that is in response to Easter. I think there's something meaningful to that, something that we could explore sometime, not this morning, because we don't have enough time for that. Then Matthew and Mark, they place their story, their stories are pretty similar, they place theirs at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and there's, a, there's no sense in their telling of the story that they had ever met Jesus before, that Jesus seemingly comes out of nowhere, shows up at the Sea of Galilee, and says to Takes, has the boat go out into the middle of the lake and there's this miraculous catch of fish and he says to Peter, James, and John, come and follow me. And despite having never met Jesus before, they decide to leave behind everything they've ever known uh, to follow him. Luke, the story that we found here this morning, the story that I just read, um, he adds his own distinction, his own little blend of herbs and spices to the story. Um, he places his story like Matthew and Mark at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Uh, but his focus is mostly on Simon, who later on will be renamed by Jesus as Peter. Um, I saw something recently on social media that was like class reviews of professors. You know how you can do that? Like there was one from Simon. It said, he called me Peter all semester long, even though my name is Simon. Um, 
so his story mostly focuses, uh, it focuses on Peter. And Peter lives in the town of Capernaum. And he seems to be just one of the average, ordinary people who lives in this town. He participates in the local economy, which was mostly based around fishing. Um, this is how Peter lived his life, fishing day and night. He would try and catch whatever um, he could. And now, commercial fishing is no less dangerous than as it is now. Uh, the Sea of Galilee was known for its sudden and violent storms that would kind of appear out of nowhere. Um, so there's that famous story in the Gospels of Jesus in the boat with his disciples, and there's a, a violent storm that happens, that, and Jesus calms the storm. Well, they're on the, the Sea of Galilee. That's something similar is, is happening there. Um, it is a hard way to make a living, to fish all night long to try and catch something. There's no guarantee that you will catch anything. But to make matters worse is that most of the fishermen who lived in Capernaum were subject to the exploitation of the fishing economy by uh, Herod Antipas, who was the son of Herod the Great, who was the Herod from the Christmas story. There's a bunch of Herods in the New Testament. You've got to keep them all straight, right? Will the real Herod please stand up? Uh, this is Herod Antipas, and he had levied some seriously high taxes on the transportation of fish, specifically tolls that the fishermen would have to pay to transport those fish to make money. So Herod would get exceptionally wealthy off of the labor of these fishermen. You know, the price of fish was always in flux. It was never stable. Um, to add to all of that, in order to even fish on a place like the Sea of Galilee, you needed to have a lease from the Roman government. And those leases were far too expensive for any one person to have by themselves, to afford by themselves. Um, so what normally happened is you had these little cooperatives that would come together who would purchase the leases. So cooperatives like Peter, James, and John. And to fish, you would work at night. You would work, essentially, let's think of it as third shift because the, the fish couldn't see the, the nets at night. They could see them during the day, and so um, they would fish at night. And so this is how Peter lived his life. Every night, he would get up in the evening. He'd have dinner with his family. Then he'd head off to the docks. He'd have his lunch pail in hand, head down there to fish all night long. This is how he lived day in and day out. This was his ordinary routine, his ordinary life. But then one day, his mother-in-law uh, fell pretty seriously ill. The, the Gospels indicate that, that Peter lived with his mother-in-law. Um, she fell seriously ill. She had a fever that wouldn't abate, and no matter what the doctors said or tried to do, they couldn't figure out what was going on with her. And so Peter and his wife, they called the, the synagogue office and had her added to the prayer list. And then that, that Saturday, they went to synagogue, and they arrived, and the, the synagogue was abuzz and flurry with activity because some rabbi from the small little town named Nazareth, uh, named Jesus, was there uh, to preach that Sunday. And they sat in the, in the synagogue, and they listened as Jesus preached his message. And they were mesmerized by his words, words of, of love and grace, words about the arrival of the kingdom of God, something that people in that society were longing for and expecting and waiting for. And as they were captivated by Jesus' sermon, that's when the service is interrupted and a man with an unclean spirit bursts into the synagogue and disrupts the service. What's Jesus going to do in this situation? Jesus stops the entire service to attend to this man with an unclean spirit 
and he heals him. Peter and everybody else in the synagogue are amazed at the things that Jesus does. Not only the things that Jesus says, but also his actions. When service ends, Jesus is standing at the door as the congregation files their way out, and that's when Peter passes by, and Jesus recognized him from the, the name on the prayer list, and Jesus asked, could he go by and, and see uh, Peter's mother-in-law while she was sick? And Peter said, of course you can. I've seen what you can do. Of course you can come by and you can see her. And so Jesus crosses the, the threshold of the home. He goes to the place where she was laying sick. And Jesus places her, his hand on her sweaty, clammy forehead. And then in that moment, she is healed. There in the midst of his ordinary life, in the midst of his ordinary routine, God's grace, God's love, God's healing shows up in Peter's life. And there is this moment uh, of celebration. They gather on the table and they celebrate this woman who has been restored back to life. It's a moment, no doubt, of spiritual and emotional elation, this spiritual and emotional high. But of course, Peter, being the working class guy that he is, has to go back to work. And he goes back to work the next day, no doubt telling James and John, the sons of Zebedee, all the, the things that he had just experienced. But that emotional high, I think, comes crashing down in what becomes a really frustrating night out on the Sea of Galilee. They spend all night, hours upon hours, trying to catch fish, but they can't catch anything. That happens in that sort of profession from time to time. And um, by the time the sun starts to rise, they're heading back to shore, and they are, are bickering and fighting with each other the way you might expect them to be. And they start to, to clean everything up. They get the, the boats and the nets all cleaned up and back to the shore and all tied up and ready to go back home for the day. And that's when they hear it first and then they see it. Jesus coming with a large crowd of people following him. There's always a large crowd in tow whenever, wherever Jesus goes in the Gospels. And he makes his way down to the shore and he hops into Peter's boat without even asking. You know, there's an indication at least that Peter and Jesus have met before this, but Jesus seems to take it to mean he can have access to Peter's boat whenever he wants. We all have friends like that, right, who let us have access to their boat whenever we want. Those are the kind of friends that you want. Um, and he says to, to Peter, would you push the boat out a little bit further so I can teach the crowds? Um, Peter, even though he's probably really exhausted at this point, obliges Jesus. He pushes the boat out a little bit into the Sea of Galilee. And, and there uh, Jesus teaches the crowds. And once again, the crowds are, are captivated by the things that he says. And finally, when the lesson is over, he says to, to Peter, why don't we get back in the boats and why don't we head out to the middle of the lake and try and catch some fish? Uh, this is a kind of ridiculously comical request. Uh, you don't try and catch fish in the middle of the day because they can see the nets. And also, Peter, James, and John have just gotten done cleaning everything up. They're exhausted. They want to go home, take a shower, wash the smell of fish off of them. They it's sort of like those commercials, you know, the bounty tape, paper towel commercials when everything's cleaned up and then the dog with the muddy paws comes running through the house. Uh, anyway, um, but Peter says, we, we've been out working all night long, but if you say so, I will go out and we will let down the nets. And so they head out in the Sea of Galilee. They're sitting out there, the hot sun beating down on them. They're expecting to catch not a, a single thing. 
But then there's a, a tug on the net, and Peter starts, Peter's in the boat with Jesus. He starts to try and pull this net back into the boat, but he can't because there's so many fish. So he calls over James and John, and they try to do it as well, but they can't get the, the net into the boat. There's so many fish. There in the midst of his ordinary, everyday life, there is God's grace once again that surprises and stuns Peter. Isn't that sort of how God's grace shows up in our own lives? It never seems to, to show up in those moments of prayer and deep contemplation, but it always seems to, to show up in those moments where we're going about our everyday, ordinary routines. God's love and God's grace, God's goodness sort of knocks us flat on our backs. It, it takes us by surprise. For Peter, it, it leaves him with this sense of, being, of feeling unworthy. Go away from me, Jesus, he says, because I am a, a sinful person. I am not worthy to have this love and this grace in my life. But Jesus says to Peter, I disagree. In fact, from now on, you're going to be fishing for people. Now, maybe like me, you might maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable with that phrase. You're going to become fishers of men in the sort of traditional King James language. It, to me, it sort of conjures up images of colonialism or of the sort of evangelism of knocking on people's doors and saying, have you heard about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You know, you've had that experience. Um, it conjures up those kinds of images. But surprise, surprise, the Bible wasn't originally written in English. Sorry to disappoint you all. Um, it was originally written in Greek. And as we know, when we're translating from one language to another, sometimes we can't quite capture the meaning of what's being said. And according to one scholar, what this, what this phrase could be translated to say is you'll be catching people alive. In other words, that you will be restoring life and strength to people. From now on, you'll be restoring life and strength to people. There's a mystic named Thomas Merton. Uh, there was a mystic named Thomas Merton. He lived in the middle of the last century, and um, he had this experience uh, on a, while walking down the street in Louisville, Kentucky. It was an ordinary day. He was simply running errands for his monastery. It was on an ordinary spot in a place where women and men walked back and forth and cars passed by on the street. And then Merton describes his epiphatic moment. He says, in Louisville on the corner of 4th and Walnut in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all of those people, that they were mine and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world, the world of renunciation and supposed holiness. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being human, a member of a race in which God became incarnate, as if the sorrows and the stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me. Now I realize what we all are, and if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. And so maybe this is the sort of moment that Peter has. In the midst of his ordinary life, on an ordinary day, doing what he would ordinarily do, God's grace shows up. And he finds himself caught up in something much larger than himself. 
so invited into the work and the purpose of Jesus, of restoring life and strength to people. Maybe that answers that question of why is it that those fishermen left everything behind to follow Jesus? Perhaps they were, were caught up in their own moment of seeing the goodness in other people and wanting to participate in that work of, of bringing love and justice and grace and wholeness into the world. And I think the beautiful thing about stories like this one is that they're not just stories. They're not just recordings from the past, but they are stories that remind us that Jesus still shows up in the midst of our ordinary, everyday lives and something profound happens that we may not always know when he's going to show up, that often it surprises us when he shows up. But when he does, are we ready to leave behind our nets, to join him in that work of fishing for people, of catching people alive, of restoring life and strength to people? You never know when it's going to happen in the midst of your ordinary, everyday life. But when it does, be ready. Thanks be to God. Amen.